Um, all right, so this is a way better turnout than, we, than I had a couple weeks ago. This is amazing. Woo! It's like a 700% turnout. Um, so the plan tonight is a bunch of questions came in, uh, whether through the Google form or through just personal conversation. We've kind of compiled them all, uh, Randy and I. And this isn't like lecture time. This isn't us like dumping knowledge on you. It's, it's actually going to be conversational a bit. Um, and we're just going to talk through some of these things. And the goal isn't like certainty. Like <laughs> one of the things that's really tricky when we get into these conversations is people, there's a, especially since we're Americans in the West, we want answers. You know, we want answers. We want to feel like the answers are true and right and so that we can go on and improve our lives. But some of these are tricky because they're nuanced and there's still some mystery and some tension. And so our plan is to just talk through different chunks, like categories of questions. Um, and uh, and the, the reality is all about posture. Um, if you are looking to be a person who wants to win a debate or um, get into a debate, you know, the posture is different. But these are just great, honest questions, and uh, we're going to do our best to answer them. So uh, the reason why Randy's here as well is because Randy has a master's degree from seminary and um, has taught Bible and has taught apologetics, has taught a lot of things to very, very skeptical, skeptical high school students. Um, and he's had to work out a lot of this stuff even in his own mind. If you know Randy, um, he is a, a thinker and a questioner, and uh, he's part of our teaching team. Uh, I also have a master's degree from uh, Denver in theology, and uh, I've probably forgotten more than I wish to <laughs> admit. <laughs> wish to admit. Uh, but um, so, so let me just pray. We'll get started, and uh, maybe seven more people show up. Yeah, thanks for this night. Thanks for a chance to chat about these things that are on our minds and make us curious. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot we wrestle with when we read this book, when we read this library. <laughs> um, will you help us to continue to have the right posture to ask questions, to keep pressing into it out of trust? We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So the first kind of conversation is really about the Bible. <laughs> uh, how was it formed? We got a number of questions about the Bible, the books, how it was put together, what stuff didn't make it, what stuff made it. Um, I'm going to read a few of these questions, and we're just going to talk about it. Um, how do we know we got the right... Jesus left before the New Testament was decided on? Uh, how, do we, how do we guard against mistranslations? Um, I'm not reading Randy's question. <laughs> uh, order of the Bible? Uh, chrono is it chronological? How did, how did 
some writings make it, what didn't make it, and why. Um, these may not be your questions, but we'll kind of throw out a little bit of how it all came together. Um, Old Testament, Randy. I'm just going to throw this to you. Okay. How did we get the Old Testament? I mean, it was the yeah. Old Testament that we know was in place, mm-hmm. in a sense, in mm-hmm. place before Jesus. Right. It's a good question, and it's one that, uh, especially when I was teaching world history, we would, we would run into a lot because, um, you know, the, the, the Sumerians had a really crude form of writing. Um, they're kind of like the first, like, known society to have writing, but writing wasn't formalized uh, until Egypt was a superpower. Uh, and so everyone asked the question, well, hold on a second. If, if writing wasn't formalized before Egypt was in power, then, then how do we get Genesis and, you know, the first 20 chapters of Exodus before, right, Israel starts writing these things down? And, and it's a good question. And when, when we look at history, there are lots of different things that we consider in terms of like primary sources um, and, and secondary sources. And how do we, how do we, do we, we figure out um, what, what was written and when was written, when it was written. Um, and so you have a lot of, of pieces of the puzzle that you then put together. But one of the things that Israel did really, really well uh, was storytelling. And when you look specifically at Genesis, you find that the way that they told stories was um, in, in a way to make them memorable. Um, every, uh, a lot of the names that they named for places had to do with what happened there, right? Even a lot of the names in uh, the, the book of Genesis um, have very literal meanings to them. Um, so uh, Adam, for instance, um, Adam, uh, the word in Hebrew is Adamah, um, and it means dust or ground. Uh, and so when you read in Genesis and Lord God formed um, Adam out of the dust of the ground, um, it, it, would lead, it would read in this, in, he named after the dust of the ground, right? It's, it's and Lord God formed the Adamah of the Adamah of the Adamah, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's all the same word. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and it gives us a clue as to what the story was, was trying to say, which was that, mm-hmm. yeah, he was formed out of the dust of the ground. Um, same thing with uh, Jacob, right? Jacob's name literally means deceiver, right? And it gives us a clue to what he did to Esau in that story. Um, Esau is a funny name because it literally means like hairy red stuff <laughs> um, is how it translates. And he was a hairy red-haired guy. Um, and then the, the stew that he made was like red stew. And so it, it all has this kind of like like uh, mnemonics to it. Yeah, curry. Um and, and, and you get this all throughout, um, even, even other, you, we, we looked at uh, the book of Ruth a couple years ago, um, very, very similar, um, right? Um, Orpah um, is the daughter-in-law that turns back and goes back to Moab. Um, Orpah literally means to turn back. Um, Orpah and Ruth's husbands, um, their names literally translate to sick and dying, and they literally got sick and died. Um, and so Ruth is actually full of all the names in, in Ruth, um, places and people um, have meanings to their literal what happened there. And so one of the things that biblical historians like to say is that the, the oral transmission of the Old Testament is 100% accurate um, because they had so many different things 
to, to, to clue people into what the stories meant. And they were so good about telling the stories over and over again. You, you see this in Deuteronomy, right? Um, they're, they're told to set up this, um, like these, these 12 stones in the middle of the river where they crossed over so that whenever they go past that place um, and their children ask why, like why are those stones there? They can say, well, this is what happened. This is how God delivered us. And it's a clue back to the story. So storytelling was always a part of the, the Hebrew tradition. And so even when you go Genesis 1 through Exodus 20, of not necessarily having like detailed accounts written down, um, you have enough of the stories that when the author starts to write these things down, it's a very accurate portrayal of what it was. What's amazing also, oh, so was, go ahead. So the question is, do we have a sense of when the Torah was actually written down? We, we, there's a, a huge, there's a huge movement believes it was written during exile. So we were, in a sense, were given a space to still worship God in exile and things like that. And actually, because of the furtherance of culture in Babylonian culture, they had access to ways to write down their, their stories. Mm-hmm. So some believe that that's where some of that came from. Um, but yeah, and and that's where um, and I'm and I'm I'm way better uh, when it comes to New Testament um, stuff, yeah. um, but but in a, in a similar vein, right? When you when you, it's 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 when you compare lots of different writings together. So so again, journals would be something that we call a primary source, right? From an eyewitness account, people are writing this down. When you compare those journals or those stories and you compare them together, then they they kind of all line up. Um, yeah. You go, okay, this is this is probably the accurate place, and so they weren't. And I think this is kind of getting at one of the other questions um, later on, but um, the stories of the Bible were always written in community. Uh, they were always written together so people could check themselves. And so one of the questions later on is about translations. How do we know which translations are accurate or the best? And, and one of the, the simplest first tests you would say is, was it written in community? If it was written by one person sitting down by themselves, writing it out, it's, it's probably not something that we would trust um, as much as something that was written in community. And this is, this is one of the things they talk about um, in Eugene Peterson's book, Eat This Book, is the process at which he um, worked to translate um, the paraphrase of the message, and it was done in community. Yeah. Um, and that's why we'd say the paraphrase that Eugene Peterson does is actually much more accurate than... Um, there's, there's another popular translation out there that I forget the name, but every time it comes up. The Passion Translation. The Passion Translation, that's it. Um, you know, people love the Passion Translation, but it was literally written by, like, one person. And, and he, he... I do not love the Passion Translation. <laughs> no. Um, people like how it flows. They like how it reads. Um, but it was written by one person, and so there's, there's a little bit of suspect we have there. Now, when he writes stuff that is comparable to the translations we have, we say, okay, that... Maybe that's a good way to phrase that for us to understand it, um, but that's kind of that's that's the way that Israel did everything through storytelling, through comparison, and through writing yeah, together. Yeah, one of the questions we have is how do we guard against mistranslations? We we look at it in community, you know. Uh, we put it up against other translations that are trustworthy. So that's part of the reason. That's part of the the way we do it. The other thing, we talk about the New Testament real quick, because I think the New Testament's where it gets 
really interesting on how did that all come together? Like how were those 27, you know, accounts and letters, what made it, what didn't? Mm-hmm. Um, some of you might be familiar with the phrase the Apocrypha, or not the phrase, the word the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is um, some, some in between, like there's some, there's some books that can kind of fit, I guess, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, so to speak. So mm-hmm. first and second Maccabees, things like that, that um, that are in, they're, they're fully realized in the Catholic Bible, mm-hmm, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but when it comes to the New Testament, people are like, well, isn't that just kind of like made up? Did people just, you know, who, who came up with that? Was that Constantine? Like Joe Rogan's argument is, oh, Constantine put it together. <laughs> um, he did not. Um, so what made it in, what didn't, is a really, really good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made it in and what didn't had primarily to do with um, were those um, letters or accounts written by a close associate or an eyewitness of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so two of our Gospels are written by disciples. Two of them are not. Uh, but our close associates are closely tied to the group. Um, and then what you have with the, all the letters is a really interesting, um, you know, uh, from what they call an apostolic tradition, meaning people who were looked at as leaders and apostles within the church. So Paul has most of those. Um, I'm on Paul, even though he didn't follow Jesus, he was a contemporary of Jesus. We're going to get at a lot of that Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and then these books, these accounts, and these letters had to be, um, in a sense, um, I guess you could say honored by the community of mm-hmm. Jesus followers. I mean, they were used in worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, they read these letters out loud. They read First and Second Thessalonians. They passed it around. Uh, there was, what is the book? There's, oh, I think it's Colossians, where Paul says, please send this on to the Laodiceans, <laughs> you know? So there's just this, it all kind of fit with that stuff as well. And then there are some, what you would call um, letters and uh, stuff that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Gospel of Thomas. Mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene. Gospel of Mary, things like that. And these seem to be ones that um, didn't make it because of authorship. Um uh, like the authorships in question, authorships right? Not, in question. not not that we, right? Not that hey, we don't trust Thomas and Mary, but like we don't actually know that they were the ones that wrote it, right? Um, and did they f- make their way into church, you know, community worship? Mm-hmm. And well. the 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 theology behind those books is vastly different from everything else, mm-hmm. and so that's what's really interesting about it. It um, didn't fit. Yeah, it wasn't a cohesive story, right. right? And and so you go, well, okay, hold on a second. But what if they were right? Um, yeah. it, it's it's just a lot. It, it becomes like a kind of like a numbers game in a lot of sense, right? Where you you know where you have you know hundreds of copies or or, or even more of of some of these gospels that that we trust. You have only like a handful. Um, of like Mary Magdalene and Thomas, and even Mary Magdalene, like it's 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 just fragments, right? It's just pieces, um, and and the earliest date for them are so much later 
uh, than the other ones we have. And so when you look at it, a pure numbers game, it just doesn't like either it is the greatest cover up in all of history um, or we, we take the simplest solution there and say uh, these were probably um, written by somebody else, you know, for their own, you know, bent and their own movement. And at this point, they're putting everything on scrolls. Mm-hmm. Scribe work, and then super a, a bunch of really kind of votes all these different um, and then that's kind of where the New Testament kind of came from Absolutely. yes yeah feel free yeah, to ask questions is, yeah <laughs> the, the, the question is, what are our thoughts on the Gospel of John? Why is it so different? He's just very imaginative. Um, his is the latest of the accounts. So in, 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 as far as written down and, and, and circulated, and uh, you would agree with that? I would. Okay. Uh, we have agreement. And the, the reality is, is that it, John probably had two or three decades to chew on these stories of Jesus, to begin to make sense of them in light of everything he's witnessing and seeing, mm-hmm. um, and could really bring a, a sense of beauty and almost commentary to it. Mm-hmm. He talks about light and dark. He talks about all these different things, and. and that Mark was floating around and Matthew and Luke's yeah. account, yeah. he wasn't like, man, I got to really nail down the details. Mark did that. Mark did precision and Luke as well, precise mm-hmm. details. And John's like, man, I can really flesh this out with Tell the story. imagery, you know, um, not, not like embellish, but just mm-hmm. like, this is what, uh, he's an older guy. He's like, he was one of the sons of thunder. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's probably a young, a young, angry prophet. And as he ages, he just mellows out a bit and just sees, looking back, mm-hmm. who Jesus really was in, in kind of more of a cosmic scope. And so, yeah, it is strikingly different. And I, th- and I think the other counts. You know, one of the things that you have to consider, we talked about a couple weeks ago looking at the Bible literarily. Like, what was, what was this book's purpose? Who is its intended audience? You're not going to write to uh, the people of Asia Minor the same way you write to the Romans or the same way you write to, to Jewish, Jews, people. Jewish people, yeah. right? You're going to write in a different way to help them understand conceptually, theologically, what are we talking about here? How does this connect with your culture? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think John gives us a really cool glimpse of that um, especially um, if we jump forward, which I hope we do at some point to Revelation, um, you get a really cool glimpse of how John is, is, is bringing in um, imagery to help, you know, the, the Asia Minor people understand this is what we're talking about. Yeah. So I think it's really important to talk about interpretation, though. And we've had a number of questions on interpretation, like three. Um, they're pretty beefy. Um, how do we interpret this? Like, how do we take this ancient manuscript, the, the, the youngest book 
is over 2,000 years old, how do we interpret it? Mm-hmm. How do we do it right? Um, and, and, and someone wrote, so much harm has come from interpretations of the Bible with agendas. How do we even begin to consider how to interpret it for ourselves? Um, and this is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is every single one of us approaches the Bible with our own bias, our own location, um, like interpreting the Bible one on one is we all have to just recognize we have distance from it, like physical distance from the area that the Bible took place, um, time distance, cultural distance, language distance. Is going to be many opportunities for us to screw up the interpretation of it, mm-hmm. um, and so that's why it's really important for us to take it seriously, to analyze our motives, and to do that in community. Because um, there are really, really easy ways to get it wrong, um, as we've seen through history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to add anything to that? You know, it's really interesting. Uh, this, this is an important question to me, I think, for two reasons. One, um, working with uh, students who have been raised a, a certain way and the faith being taught a certain thing, um, it's, it's been really fascinating to me to, to, to talk with them about these things because uh, one of the things that we've seen lately uh, is that a lot of our students are becoming discouraged in reading the Bible. And, and one student who it was, for as long as I knew her, the most passionate person about reading the Bible. I mean, her, her Bible, you know, she, she became a believer, um, like, I think, sixth or seventh grade, maybe. Um, and then her, the Bible that she has is, like, worn out, like, somebody who's been reading it for the last 60 years. Like, she's just that, like, it's highlighted, it's marked up. I mean, she, like, of anyone that I know, um, like, adults included, like, she's passionate about the Bible. And she finally got to a point where she said, I don't want to read my Bible anymore because everybody's always throwing out these different interpretations, these different things. And I feel like unless I have a PhD, I can't really interpret it. Mm. And it made me so sad. And, 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 and so I, I told her, I said, hey, like when it comes down to it, if you feel like you are reading the Bible and you feel like God is, is telling you something through the words that are on the page, because that's, that's really what we have, right? We can, if I hear a voice and I think it's God, that's one thing. But if I see it written down, that's a little more trustworthy. Um, and, I, and I said, if, if you think that, and it's congruent or it lines up with the rest of Scripture, then why can't that be God, like, using a Scripture to tell you something? And so I think it's important to understand that even as we, we, we talk through um, all of the nuances of interpretation and everything, you, I mean, you could get as nerdy as you want with it. But in reality, like, it's still God's Word, and it's still very living and active in our lives. Um, and we, we can just open it up and, and, and glean something from it, um, in, in, in a very, very simple way, in a very good way, in a rich way. And then personally for me, um, I've noticed that as I've been more and more exposed to uh, people like N.T. Wright, who have a different bent on Scripture than I was raised by, I have a really hard time remembering what he says. And so there, there's times where, where I, we just the other day, we were, we were in, a, in a preaching team meeting and I was trying to explain something. And I was like, I don't like, like, I know when I read it that it was like really good, 
but I can't get past my own upbringing to tell you what it is. Yeah. And so even I'm we bring all that that. to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for instance, and Randy just said something totally interesting because you, you just mentioned God's word is living and active, Mm -hmm. which is a a fascinating, there's a, there's, there's a little biblical interpretation piece that doesn't mean the Bible. We've interpreted it to mean the Bible. But that actually, God's word is his creative power, the gospel, this beautiful news of what God is up to. And we'll translate that passage in Hebrews that says God's word is living and active and sharper than double-edged sword as, as meaning the Bible. But it doesn't. I mean, it, I mean, you can kind of try to make it, but that's not why the writer was saying that. Right, we're saying that God's creative word is flourishing and going forward. And so what's interesting is we'll have little things that come up in our teaching or wherever that come from a place of, well, I heard this, so I'm just going to say it. But there's a, there's a group of people in Scripture that, that call, they're called the Bereans. I don't know if you guys have heard this group of people that Paul mentions and they are a group of people that, like, investigate. They go back and check. Um, they, they, they listen, and then they go, they, you know, they investigate what was said, and does this actually line up? And I think that that's really important. I, I think I've shared this with you guys before, but it's, like, a really scary thing for me to teach every week. Not because I'm afraid of public speaking, I mean, not afraid enough of public. <laughs> it's like, probably, I, I would say to say, I, I'm like a thief. Not in like what I see like deliberately, in like accuracy. Like I'm, <laughs> I might get 80%. Sometimes I, I text Ryan when he says stuff and I'm like, are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, you know, believe it. No, just kidding. Like, um, no, like, I, I, there are things that I go back on, even like when we first planted the church and I like read some sermons, I'm like what, what did I just say? You know, and it might be a little offhanded thing or a little comment, but like, there's so much movement in my own life. Not that I'm like changing my beliefs, but I'm learning more, um, different attitudes towards things, different interpretations of things. And, um, they're not like central core things, but sometimes they're nuanced around kind of how that looks. And so there are harmful interpretations mm-hmm. that have been all around churches. And I think what's really important, we've all experienced those. We've all kind of had these hangups. Um, I'm thinking of one person that sends some of these questions in, and they grew up in the church, and they have still have like these like trigger warnings, how things are presented mm-hmm. and how they um, used to think about certain ways they were taught as a kid or as a high school student or whatever. And, and their question really is, how do we heal hurts caused by harmful interpretations so we're not immediately triggered when we read it? Because question. they're really afraid to read the Bible because they're like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hear angry Pastor Hank, in or I don't know why it's always Hank, but it, you know, it always is. Yeah, yeah, yeah poor Hank. 
We used to call um, him Hank from Minnesota for some reason. I don't yeah, know. really. And I think part of that is actually talking about it. I think um, I think you're you're not alone when you have those stories. Um, and um, I mean, there's some modern day preachers that um, I I. I get so angry, yeah. you know, um, because of things they've said in the past. And, I'm just like, oh. and, it, and it's tough, too, because, you know, I was, uh, um, I've gotten a lot more simpler um, the more I've studied, the, the older I've gotten, where I'm just letting, letting God do, do what God wants to do. And um, there's one particular pastor um, that I just cannot stand, um, and, and I just... Uh, I would just rail. It was one of my rants, right? I just rail in this particular pastor, popular pastor. And I remember um, sitting uh, at lunch with some people and going off about this pastor. And and this guy looks across the table from me and said, "If it wasn't for that guy, I don't know that I would ever come to know the Lord." And I was like, "Pull," <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. you know. And I think the 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 way that I remember who said it, but you know, there there's there's a story about Balaam. Um, and, and, and a donkey in, in the Old Testament, Testament about this like, like donkey that's like basically trying to keep um, this guy from going into danger. And um, I think that the, the quote is like, um, you know, if, if God can use an ass to keep someone out of danger, then surely he can use me kind of a thing. And so. Love it. That's on the podcast. It is on the podcast. You just yeah. swore on the podcast. <laughs> it's biblical language. That's... Tori? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. a really good question. The question, question is, um, how do you know when something something is a harmful interpretation? Like, how do you know right from wrong when somebody's like teaching it to you? Yeah, I thought you were going to answer that. I was going to say the question, so you had to answer. Oh, okay. but, um, no, I, I think, <laughs> unfortunately, um, and you're not going to like this part of the answer, but some of it is time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you you give it time, and and you see what what damage comes from it. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I, you know, the, the best, the best listeners test to me is like, is it, is it loving to others? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that can be, and, and I hesitate to say that cause that can be taken in so many different ways in today's society. But, but in a lot of ways, like if it's not loving to others, then, then we, we, we should kind of question it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there, there is, we, we could talk, we could get into a lot of details about like rebuking and discipline and all that kind of stuff and how it actually is loving. And, and, and that's not what I'm talking about. It's more, um, the, the, when you look through history, the Bible has been used to oppress people, mm-hmm. um, specifically to, to dehumanize people and make people um, less than and give um, other people permission to basically prop just... Prop up power structures. Yeah, prop, prop, prop up power structures, right? And then you look at, this is a... Uh, um, or you look at the Crusades. They were not a religious war, but they were blamed on it. That was the motivation, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I mean, in reality, they were fighting over a piece of land. Mm-hmm. Um, they were fighting over and having power. There was a lot of land. fear. And there was a lot of fear in it, yeah. and there were a lot of promises mm-hmm. of, of 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 you know wealth and riches right. if you if you went through with this holy war on on both sides. And so, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, you look at that and you see. Um, kind of where, where, where that ended up. And so it's kind of like that hindsight, looking back, yeah. we see that. Um, and that's kind of, what I think yeah. for, for me in my life, I began to see some of the, 
how, how some of the teachings that, that I grew up with um, were kind of oppressive and dehumanizing to people and, and created some biases in me that um, didn't need to be there uh, because they weren't kind of a loving response. Yeah. Troy, that's a really good question. I think if you have some teaching that you're like, I'm not, I'm not sure I understood it or it sounds weird, I would always ask the person who taught it, can you explain um, and then I would always ask other friends or your parents or um, Randy or <laughs> you can ask me too. But, uh, <laughs> what I'm saying is just ask questions. Be curious. Um, uh, read it for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself. Think about it. And then if, if you're still not sure, um, keep chewing on it and talk to people. So, do you, do you have a specific one in mind right now at all? You don't read a lot of poetry, Tori, huh? So the, this just for the people on the, on the yeah. podcast, right? N- not a specific question, but um, just opening the Bible and reading it is, is really hard because it's confusing. We don't know how to interpret it. You know, yeah. Different weird things come up, especially when you're talking about poetry or different mm-hmm. um, mythological type genres mm-hmm. um, or even some of the teachings, right? Um, parables. That, that are par- I mean, parables, yeah. I mean, if, if the people walking right next to Jesus didn't get it, <laughs> I mean, what do right we there. have, right? Um, <laughs> So yeah, it is. It is. It is hard, and I think that there's there's good resources out there. Um, there's a lot of good resources out there, um, especially. With you ever the... heard of the Bible Project? Okay, it's mm. a great it's a great uh, website. It's called thebibleproject.com or bibleproject.com. You'll find it. And you they Google do the Bible Project. It'll a come bunch up. of really cool cartoon videos about how books were written, why they were written, just gives you a whole bunch of background. It's really helpful. So if you're kind of stuck on what this is, is this a poem, is God mad, is God, you know, what, what's going on? Those are really helpful backgrounds. It's the first place I go to um, when I'm preparing so, for something is I go to the Bible Project and I see if they have any word studies or anything yeah. in there that they've done because it's really well researched. And if you're really an well adult done. and you've never seen one of those things, they're great. They're, they're, they're like, fantastic. You'll feel like a child, a kid again. So um, any other questions? I'm interpreting the Bible and reading it. Yeah. So to, were you going to repeat the question? Yeah, I was going to do that. Okay, go ahead and repeat the question. It comes to reading the Bible. It comes to interpreting it. Uh, we have our own cultural biases. Mm-hmm. 
Bible for that. It doesn't apply to us. And or how do we look at our culture today? Are we ruling over? You know, versus that. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing because there are some very cultural comes to scripture, and I think that what we have to understand is um, that not all the things that we deal with in our setting, they dealt with in their setting. Yeah. Um, and so the problem is, is then we try to read things in from our location into, you know, their location, and that, they weren't even thinking that. And um, we actually sometimes to scripture to try to get answers uh, instead of in, in a sense and maybe Randy can help me with this too this idea of just like I said Sunday this idea of imagination participation um, with what we know of Jesus what we know of the New Testament what we know of our posture what we know of how it all wraps up how do we then fill in that gap creatively and not knowing all the right things. Mm-hmm. We know, like what Randy said earlier, that we're, we're meant to be, you know, salt and light. We're meant to be loving people and, and pursuing people on the margins and all that kind of stuff. So if any of our interpretations keep us from doing that, mm-hmm. things we've chosen to do. <laughs> yeah. So, um, whether that be on a boat, or uh, uh, all those different things that are, are tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think the, the hard part that I struggle with, with a lot of people that I discuss the Bible with, is you can kind of make the Bible say whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I've tried to take a posture of... Uh, if I'm really going to enter into conversation with somebody, then I have to be okay with being wrong. And, and so when I sit with an atheist, I ask myself, okay, am I wrong about this? Because I want to have kind of an open to, to understanding. And, and, and that, that makes people nervous in Christianity because they're like, well, we don't want our kids to, to think that like the Bible's wrong. And, and what I come back to is say, well, if, if, if the Bible's the word of God and God is in control of this, then what are we scared of? Right, we're we're, we're scared of, of of other ideologies and other religions kind of invading us. But but if we really like trust this thing, we really trust in God, then then we trust that that truth is going to come forth. Right. Um, and so I kind of go there, and I mean, and there's, yeah. You know what's interesting? I was just something came up. Like there's places in Scripture where it talks about this, like you're either this or you're, you, you know, you're. It, it's got this very like focused. Um, kind of salvation focus, like you got to do this and you got to be this and mm-hmm. then you're quote unquote in, right? Then there's other places in scripture where it looks like God's arms are a lot wide open, more open than that. Mm-hmm. And those are both in there. So we have to wrestle with that tension. So we have to live in a sense of... Um, you know, like God is like, God's got these huge open arms for people that we probably wouldn't even think. Yet at the same time, he's, you know, he's calling some of us to like get 
the wild thing about scripture. You can read the John 3.16s and then you can read other places where you're like, what do you mean that there's like a kingdom or like mm-hmm. a linear, linear, linear thing or a step by step process? And, and a lot of people have tried to make it down to a step by step. Um, but I just, I think that the mystery of and the tension of it is actually really compelling because if someone made this up, <laughs> they, they would have made it a lot more clear <laughs> yeah. and a lot more step by step. But it's just beautiful because there's this human element and there's this cultural element and it's kind of... Hopefully, I didn't just weird you guys out, but um. I think I think for me, the, the phrase that the last couple of years has been ringing for me is is taste and see that the Lord is good, and and for me, that's been the kind of like the driving force for me of saying like, okay, so this is what the Bible is saying how I'm supposed to live my life, or if if I want to become more like Jesus, right? Is this is this a good way? Mm-hmm. And, and the answer is always yes, um, and I think that that's what makes the tension okay um, and then the wrestling okay is because I'm, I'm always left with, with the person of Jesus mm-hmm. who um, I, I, I can't deny um, e- either historically um, or uh, just through my own yeah. beliefs and, and, and wrestling with the world. Like I, I, just, I can't shake the fact that this, yep. is, this is the way. This is the answer Absolutely. that everybody's looking for. Yeah, so. when I, sit, I sit, sat with a bunch of friends at different times that are, kind of deconstructing and moving away from the faith. I mean, and they're just like, well, how do you, how do you stick with it? And I'm like, I just can't shake Jesus. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't shake the things he did and said. Um, and it wasn't all puppies and rainbows. <laughs> I mean, I just can't shake this figure. And if all of scripture was kind of leading, and when I can back up and look and I'll see how all of scripture was kind of leading towards and pointing towards this, I, I just got to go, okay, there's these parts I don't like, or I don't know, or I don't understand, but there's still like this, I can't shake Jesus of Nazareth. Um, and I think that's the, the part that people need to realize too, is that um, like questions imply a journey, yeah. right? If you're not questioning anything, you're kind of just growing stagnant. Probably but not but, going anywhere. Yeah, you're probably not going anywhere, right? But but like questions imply that you're like you're moving forward and so to, to ask those questions I think is 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 really good. Yeah. Did you have a you have a question? Yeah. Um, why do you think that when Jesus why do you think when Jesus said that he was Yeah. Yeah. Why do why Yeah, the question was, when Jesus uh, came, why did it seem, it seem like he was making things really difficult to understand at times? Um, it's just wild. It's wild. Like, there's parts of Mark, chap- at Mark that he is just like, don't tell anybody, like, what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he talks in parables, and he does all these different things. Um, at first, he's talking to a lot of Jewish or his tribe, you know, Sermon on the Mount. They use blowing their mind because he was basically unpacking the Old Testament, but he's like, 
deeper than that. And they're just like, what? (laughs) Um, I think that Jesus was um, clearing up a lot of misconceptions about who God was and what God was up to amongst the Jewish people. He was always confronted by the very powerful religious Jewish people. As we'll talk about Paul this weekend and how insane his change, his worldview was because of Jesus. But I think, yeah, I think he was um, also what's wild is if you measure Jesus's life by crowds, he was doing really good at the beginning, not so good at the end. (laughs) So it is kind of upside down, isn't it? You have anything you want to say about that? Especially parables. Parables are kind of crazy, huh? Yeah, I mean, I think I think part of it, um, my, my initial bent goes to the fact that it's confusing shows that it wasn't some system that was put in place to, like, draw us all in to, like, you know, all the strength of Kool-Aid kind of thing. And it actually, like, was just real life on life happening, messy, um, just like our life is. And, you know, you, you would expect... Um, something to be, um, you know, you're going to be skeptical of something that like lines up and has all the answers, you know, like why, like if, if the deal sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, and, and I think that that's um, where initially my thoughts go mm-hmm. with why there's so many demanding and confusing sayings from yeah. Jesus in, in that is, um, you know, it lends to the credibility of that it actually probably was what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, why he said it, that's, well, that's a, that's a harder one to, yeah. to go after. Yeah couple things to finish. Um, we're not going to get to all of these. Um, there's one that's really important to me, and that's the, um, the question of how do we deal with a gender-skewed context in the Bible, um, where it seems like there's just a heavy emphasis on masculine uh, leadership and uh, male roles and patriarchy and all these kinds of things in the Bible. And um, this is like a really great conversation. Um, most of the Old Testament obviously is written from a very ancient Near East patriarchal kind of worldview. And then you carry into the New Testament and you have a very Roman system that's built up um, outside of the Gospels. Paul's a Roman. Um, uh, the new followers of Jesus are understanding the Roman culture. Um, but it seems like it's got a, got a heavy kind of pro-male, you know, leaning to it. And um, it's like, how do, we, how do we wrestle with that 2,000 years later in a very egalitarian world where it's... Um, it's just a lot different. Um, Randy did a lot of work on this in his <laughs> work in, in seminary, so I wanted to give him a chance to talk a little bit about it, but um, there is so much to learn in the, in, the, in the real details of Scripture as well. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, you know, we'll be here all night if I unpack you know, all my, my, my work in this. Um, so 
So it, it's if you look through Scripture, um, there are act, there there are a lot of moments where um, the feminine side is 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 actually exemplified uh, pretty strongly. But I would argue because we're not very egalitarian yet, we don't read it that way. Uh, we still very much live in a society where um, the white male is kind of the the dominant um, person. Um, it's not a political statement. That's just the way that we live. And yeah, exactly. But we all read it like there are. Um, uh, and so, uh, and so you, so you read everything from this lens. So, so the, so the typical, typical, so case in point, um, you have Judah. Okay. And, uh, he has three sons. And uh, so his his first son marries, um, you know, uh, this this gal, um, Tamar, and he gets sick and he dies. So the law that was put in place, um, which 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 sounds to care for Tamar, to, to, to yeah. care for Tamar, yes, um, is 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 something that sounds to us very oppressive because it basically said, well, now she has to be married to the next brother, right? Um, well, the laws of that day, you know, women couldn't own property. They're you know they're they're word didn't stand up in a court of law, right? They, they just, they, they were genuinely oppressed. And so they couldn't vote yet. They couldn't vote yet. Yeah. It was, you know, thousands of years later. And so, um, there, just there's cross that bridge by the way. Yeah. The number of years. You know. Um, so century. there's this century. Yeah. So there's this sense of, 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 of God putting something in place to bring about mm-hmm. some type of, of balance and equality there. Well, then that brother gets sick and dies too. <laughs> and so he, uh, she's supposed to go to the next one, but he's not old enough to be married yet. And so, um, you know, Judah sends her off to be with her family. And um, then, um, and until like it's time to, for them to be married. And so the time comes, the son's old enough and um, Judah and all of his, his, his boys um, go out on this, this grand, like, basically partying extravaganza. Um, like a bachelor party. Yeah, like a bachelor party, like going to Vegas, essentially, right? Um, and so they come up, um, and, um, and this is where it's really, if you read really closely, um, you see that Tamar's expectation is, oh, Judah and his family are coming up. It's time for me to get married. So what does she do? She puts on a veil and she goes out to, to be married to him. Mm-hmm. What we often don't know is that the other people that wore veils in that time were prostitutes. And so Judah, the father or father-in-law, um, mistaking her for a prostitute, um, takes her um, in and lays with her. And um, she being like knowing what she's doing says, well, hey, like I need some sort of, you know, payment or whatever for this and keeps his cloak. Um, she ends up getting pregnant and um, Judah's beside himself. Like, I can't believe this this girl would do this. She's such a disgrace, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, he was never planning on marrying her off anyways because he thought that she was the problem, that his sons were dying. So he wasn't going to marry her off anyways. Yeah, she was the curse. And, yeah, she was the curse. And so he sends he sends the the, the people out, or his, his men out to go and, and, and kill her for, for this as was part of the law. And then, you know, she holds up the cloak and is just like, no, this is this is the guy. And they're like, oh, <laughs> Judah, you're, you're the guy. Mm-hmm. So Judah ends up marrying Tamar um, in this like weird turn of events. And there's some people would say like, well, she was just like crafty and tricked him into it. Um, but 
I think it was more of like she was actually following the laws and the rituals that were were set forth, and and I think that was was placed in a position where, um, you know, she she was she was being oppressed in this way, um, but but somehow and, and doesn't excuse it at all, and that's not what I'm saying. That's the hard part about scripture is we're not excusing what happened. It was still wrong. It's just the um, raw story. It's just the raw story. Just what happened, um, and ends up marrying Judah. Tamar is the great, 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 great grandma of Jesus. And so, and, and you have this actually throughout Jesus' genealogy. There's like five women, Rahab, um, Rahab who was a prostitute, um, Ruth, who was a Moabite. That relationship was, was forbidden um, yeah. for Israel to get into. Um, and, I mean, even Bathsheba, um, that whole thing with King David. Um, and then Mary, right? Mary is, is, is a pregnant, unwed teenager. Um, and so um, this lineage of, 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 of this king that we celebrate comes from um, these women who were oppressed and cast out. Um, and, uh, and so you, you see stories like this um, when, you, when, you, when, you kind of, when you kind of read um, the Bible from um, not a Western male perspective, yeah. where you go, oh, there, there was something else going on here. Yeah. And and in two weeks, I'm going to introduce you to Phoebe yeah. in the New Testament. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing, too. You look at, you know, and that's, that's the other contradiction that, that people see that, that isn't true, is they say, well, Paul was, you know, he had a terrible view of women. Paul's ministry was supported by women. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have a terrible view at all. He was, he was in about, like, restoring them and bringing them up yeah. to equals. And he sent um, them out. And he sent them out, yeah. And so, so I think that the, the hard part is, is, is we read the scripture through a Western male lens. And so we, we miss how valuable the women in scripture really were. And some of our scriptural interpreters. I need to answer one of my mother-in-law's questions. She's sitting there. <laughs> Pick it on you. This is a great question. It's one of those difficult passages in the Old Testament. You're just like, what? Um, there's two. Um, we're going to just deal with one. The other one's going to take forever. But what? I'm just doing it. It's the Ark one. Yeah. What's the deal with the guy who reached out to people and got Dude's like, I'll help. And they put it on the cart and it hits a bump and he reaches out to steady it and he's killed. It's like straight from an Indiana Jones. It movie. just sounds so brutal. <laughs> and one of the things it's just like if you're not sure what you're reading and why you're reading it and what it means, just keep reading. Um, just keep reading. Um, and it's like hard for us to kind of understand, but there were certain, it's actually, this is all blamed on David. Mm-hmm. David was supposed to go get the ark. David knew that he, by, in a sense, Israel law, that you had to have Levites move the ark. And there was a, an intense amount of hubris on David's part to send just some dudes to go get it. Um, he took men to, with him to collect the ark rather than allowing Levites to bring it to him. And that was like this huge kind of, in a sense, 
um, hubris when it came to what God wanted. Um, and then you've got the, the guy who got killed. It was actually staying in his house. Um, and it, the, the ark was in his house for a while. And, and there's this, also this idea of like, you just to get accustomed to something where this, this artifact had real power to it. And it's like familiarity. Sometimes we put our guard down. And so, and in some ways, there's a little bit with this story that I think is really important for us. Um, I think that we can get very familiar with God and love and grace and forgiveness. And um, there's an awesomeness to God and a holiness to God that I think is, when we look back on these stories, we're reminded of that. It, it, from our modern Western kind of individualist stance, it kind of like, oh, God just seems like he just had a fit. When really, it just seemed like the people just kind of, just got kind of complacent. Mm -hmm. And I think the, a little bit of the, the, the lesson, not that everything has to have a moral lesson, is like we get complacent a lot in our lives. Um, I wanted to take a quick second to encourage you guys as we're a little bit over time, but I brought this. It's a cultural background study Bible. And the reason why I brought it is because I think that when you try to do any kind of digging and interpretive work, it's good to have something that helps you understand the culture. A lot of times when we read something, we read it flat, two-dimensional. And when you read something flat in a 2D kind of format, you, um, you, you miss all that could be pictured. But what context gives us, and we're going to do a lot of this in this series coming up on Romans, what context gives us is a little bit more 3D picture. And when we get a little bit of a 3D picture, it helps us move into our 3D lives when it comes to reading and letting this read us. So this is just one like tool that I have. It's kind of nice. Um, there's a lot of great stuff online. Um, obviously the Bible project, things like mm -hmm. that. Um, do you want to do a show and tell with your book? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, I've spent the last four years teaching apologetics, defending the faith and read, you know, a lot of books on that. This is by far, um, becoming one of my favorite ones. It's called the shortest leap. And, uh, it is, Essentially, the premise of it is because there's so much evidence for Christianity, it's actually not much of a leap at all to believe in it. Um, and what I love what, the, what this author does is she, um, she, she takes a lot of these, these questions um, and she has just little 
like historical and small philosophical essays. kind of small essays yeah. um, on each one. So you're only reading like a couple of pages um, on each one, but they have tons of the, of the questions in it. And so it's just like a whole thick book of, of all the evidence. So ha- it has everything that, that I taught uh, as an apologetics teacher, but it also has uh, so much more of those like nuanced questions um, that, you're, that you're wondering about, including a lot of church history. Um, so if you're interested in like how the canonization of scripture came about, there's a lot on each of the people that were a part of, of making that happen, as well as the councils, um, as well as just kind of all the data of, of, of why we trust yeah. what we have. So. The beauty of the historical part, and that's why you, you get to hear me nerd out on it all the time, is we're tethered to something mm-hmm. It goes way, 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 way back. It's not something, um, and that's why sometimes we have to compare the interpretations that we're with interpretations that go way back or not. Um, and so... I guess, I mean, that's, we're over. Yeah, we're like 10 minutes over. So hopefully that was helpful a little bit. (laughs) And uh, we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, we can, I mean, I'm happy to stick around and chat one-on-one. We'll just stop the recording and that way I can say things a little more freely. I can use other words. (laughs) Great. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming. Really do appreciate it.